The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Dan, how are you doing with all this coronavirus stuff? It's crazy, isn't it? It is. It's completely unexpected for all of us. I don't think anyone ever built global pandemic into their business planning. Yeah, right. You know, you and I have connected, I guess, over the last, I mean, we've always seen each other at conferences, said hello, and, but never really got to know each other. And it's been really a pleasure to learn more about you and how you got into the industry. And I think a lot of people don't really know that about you. Like, how did you end up in the market research industry? <laughs> that takes me back a long way. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Nobody's going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So how did I end up in the industry? Well, I consciously chose the industry when I was midway through university. I was doing a degree in psychology at the time, and we had this 10-week period where each week somebody would come in and tell us about different disciplines and applications of psychology, so clinical, educational, occupational, criminal, etc. And on the last week, there was six presentations, 10 minutes each, on alternative things you can do with a psychology degree. And there was a guy from a market research business and he talked about it. And I thought, I really like the look of that. Oh, wow. so I, then, I got a summer job doing working at a market research company. And then when I was finishing my final year, I figured I wanted to do market research, but I didn't know exactly. So I, I interviewed for quite a lot of different jobs. I was very fortunate. I offered jobs in accounting, in marketing, uh, general management, in uh, recruitment. And then I got offered three different jobs in market research. And I went for the highest paid, most exciting one, <laughs> which at the time was Research International. Yes. And I found that amazing. At the time, it was the largest custom research agency in the world, and now it doesn't exist anymore. I know technically it's been rolled up into Kantar, but that brand, that titan is no longer there. Right. And, and I worked in the drinks and leisure division, which was really good fun. So my first clients were Guinness and Alton Towers, which is a big theme park. And that was pretty cool. You know, yeah, that's fun. 21-year-old to be doing that. Especially in that category. Yeah, very interesting. And then, you know, like everyone else, I just climbed the ladder. So I, I spent a bit of time in research. Then I worked at a market. Well, again, it's now part of WPP. It was a marketing agency called Added mm -hmm. Value that eventually became Kantar Added Value and now Kantar Consulting. Then I worked client side at Kimberly Clark, then went into management consultancy and then into advertising. And then I kind of got what I consider my first lucky break, which actually was probably my second, because when I was at this ad agency, we listed on a stock exchange and then did a takeover of four other agencies. So that was quite exciting. I was, I think I was 29 at the time. That's so a great that was, experience. Yeah, that's pretty good to, to be on the board of that business as, as we built it up. And then I joined Focus Vision when they were expanding outside of the US. I was the first non-American employee. And that business, it was overdue. It should have perhaps entered those markets earlier. So we saw extremely rapid growth. And then about 18 months later, sold the company to 
Schroeder Ventures. So it transitioned from a family-owned business to a private equity. And it was after that that I had a little bit more freedom to choose. So I started going down the entrepreneurial route. And then, yeah, here I am now involved in a number of different companies with you know, a lot, lot of interesting applications to modernize the world of market research. It's pretty cool to, to be in this place now. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, for those of people, listeners who don't know, I mean, you're involved with the Zappy Store, Course 5, Borderless Access, Dahlia, and I, I'm sure I've missed some here. Bakmo <laughs> Social, right? So you decided to go an entrepreneurial route, but really it, it seems as if it's more of an investment and advisory role for many of these companies. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. I categorize it as there's kind of three different types of companies that I've got involved with. Okay. There's some where I'm involved right at the outset and yep. that's you know, a startup and it's very entrepreneurial, but then you know those companies grow. And the other two types, of, there's only really a variation in size is I get involved with companies who have have got some revenue and got themselves going, but they're struggling to scale. And they need usually a little bit more expertise, some help navigating the market, figuring out product market fit, etc. And then there's a final group where I get involved with companies that are already very well established, but have hit some sort of plateau and just need some fresh thinking around the business. So those ones are then typically advisory because they're not necessarily looking for investment. Right. Yeah, they're looking for just a different type of support. So in the, the first couple, there's always an investment relationship. And in the, the, the latter group, there's sometimes an investor. But if somebody's you know, w- way down the line, sure, I might get in an option pool or something. But, right. You know, they're, they're not after any, any wedge of money from me. And do companies find you or do you actually, like in your own mind, knowing what you know about the market, say, okay, here are the areas that I personally want to go focus on and seek those companies out? Uh, it's both. So I have a, a visual of really the kinds of organizations that I want to get involved with and the kind of future of market research that I'd quite help to, I'd like to help craft. Right. And so I actively seek out businesses in those areas. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm doing so at the moment and I'll continue to be doing you know, throughout this year. And then the second area is, yeah, a lot of people come and you know, ask, for, ask for my support, you know, an exploratory conversation. I get quite a lot of that, that inbound. And I suppose there is a final area as well where sometimes I see something that's completely opportunistic right. and try and perhaps sort of bring that into the industry you know, a little bit. To some extent, I would say that has been the case around you know, some of the video, but also some of the neuro stuff that I'm involved with that they weren't necessarily looking for an insights play, but right. I've been able to, to connect the dots and, and make that successful. That's interesting. And, and when you think about what you're actively seeking in terms of you know, your visual of the future of market research, what are some of the themes that you think about in terms of companies that, or applications and services that can provide a fit into your framework? There's lots there. You know, I've recently taken a position with a language technology firm, and I've been looking for that for a couple of years, really. I had piloted and spoken with a number of different businesses, because um, I think there's an enormous amount of opportunity around all the unstructured data that's there, which is becoming more complex and varied you know, with the addition of videos and image, etc., that's so there's, there's times that can be done, you know, around that, that right. space. I'm also always interested in anything that enhances the understanding of the brain. So I'm really interested in anything that comes out you know, related to emotions and behavioral based mm. measurement. And there's tons of things out there. There's also a lot of pseudoscience out there too. Yeah. And that can be quite challenging to work out. This thing sounds amazing, but you know, how substantive is it? Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily, I have a huge pool of people that help me evaluate these kind of opportunities. So 
you know, I can push them in that direction and then they can come back and say, yeah, here's the strengths and the weaknesses and the challenges, et cetera, for all these different things. Yeah, anything which advances the reach. So, you know, the more brains that we can access around the, the world, the better. So right. Dali is a, a great example of that. And yeah, so I'm you know, very interested in that. And yeah, also I'm very interested in anything which truly captures the value of data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a big believer that you know, it was in The Economist a couple of years ago that you know, data is the new oil. Right. If data is the new oil, then we should be the richest people in the world <laughs> because we've got access to what's in people's brains, what's in their hearts, what's in their guts. Yeah. Yeah, that's something which no one else can mine. You've got to figure out a way how to get that valuable information out of people, you know, what they're going to do next, mm-hmm. what they feel about things. And people can make all these you know, individual decisions. And if you can understand those and get them ahead, I mean, yeah, there, there's, I mean, there's so much you can do. You can advise governments, you can help brands, you know, help people make all these different decisions. So yeah, there's a lot of different things on this visual. And yeah, I'm really excited to see how far I can get to filling in the dots, really. Yeah, that's great. I think to your point, when we say, you know, and I've heard that same statement that data is the new oil, it feels like there's like a last mile problem. You know, we're collecting all this good data, but the consumption, the way clients use it to guide their decisions, it feels like there's more work to be done there in terms of being able to package and get clients, agencies, whomever is using that information to really grasp it, digest it, and be able to integrate it into decision making. I'm curious your perspective on that. Yeah, well, I find it interesting too. So I believe that data is not the new oil. Okay. Because oil's value is in its scarcity mm-hmm. and data's value is in its abundance and the additive qualities that it has. And I think the data that we can provide only becomes valuable as it's you know, meshed and merged together with all sorts of other data right. within a business, you know, finance data, CRM yes. data, et cetera. And I think we're wrestling with that, you know, mm-hmm. not just us, you know, CIOs and CTOs are wrestling with it too, you know, how to blend all this data, you know, how to effectively find navigating data as easy as going onto Google. Right. So I suspect that there's people in the background working on all sorts of ways this data can start to be integrated mm-hmm. in a meaningful way, not just that you can search and find some files and open them in different ways, but actually it blends together like a, you know, a genuine system where right. the data talk to each other. And I think that's going to take a long time before mm-hmm. we get to that. Yeah, I'm confident that we'll get there. And I think in the meantime, you know, there's, there's an enormous amount of skills and you know, importance on the, particularly on the corporate insight side of knowing when to show what kind of data. I equate it more to being like a museum curator you know, you go to any great museum and you know, you'll see some amazing things, but there's 90% of the stuff in the vault. Right. And the curator's job is to know when to put on special exhibitions, when to showcase a certain period, you know, when to display what in what kind of format. And I think that's really the role of either great agency consultants or the corporate insights professional to figure out, okay, these things don't talk to each other digitally. So I now have to put together this particular exhibition for this particular audience and I don't need to show 100% of my data. You right. know, that's, that's impossible. But I need to actually curate my information set and determine how best to land it and how to share it. That's so true. I love that analogy. I think that's very relevant. And also, you don't lose your audience in that process, right? You really have that responsibility of showcasing what's pertinent to that audience that you're, you're presenting or having that discussion with. Yeah, exactly. And that's key. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think yeah. we've all been in enough internal meetings and conference presentations where you're part of the audience that's being lost and you you don't want to be the deliverer of that. I know. 
one thing about COVID-19 that I find refreshing, if you can, I mean, there's a lot of silver linings, but the use and discussion of data has been incredible. You know, that just the abundance that exists that we probably, at least I never knew existed and that you can integrate into all these models and understanding. And I think that speaks to what you just talked about of integrating these different data sets to be able to glean insights that may help inform these decisions. Like the one was hospital utilization. What was it? It's how many patients they admitted in a particular day, time, and within a city. That's pretty incredible information, which I did not realize each hospital can actually participate and share that data. Yeah, I find that quite interesting. I also, one of the things that frustrates me around yeah. data is that countries aren't sharing data in a consistent way. I mean, they're That's not true. capturing the data anyway in a consistent way, but then they're not sharing. And then every country and every company is in a race to a vaccine. Yes. And I am sure that at some ethical level, lots of information is being shared, but I'm equally certain that a lot of information isn't being shared because it's, as well as it being a global pandemic, it's also a fantastic opportunity for whoever can be the first The first to market, yeah. That says that. And I find that really sad because if it was ever found out that withholding data led to greater loss of life, I mean, that's terrible. And who knows what the repercussions of that would be. Yep. That's an excellent point. I agree with that as well. And I mean, even now you can see the skepticism of certain data sets from other countries to say, well, we know that's not, you know, they're not reporting the numbers correctly. We know that this not, you know, there is that skepticism now in terms of who's reporting what and how they're actually classifying things, which to your point, you know, for withholding or mischaracterizing data at the trade-off of human lives, that's pretty bad. I know you and I have spoken about in-person conferences, face-to-face get-togethers, you know, I think more than ever, we've all learned to appreciate that face-to-face time. And in fact, I was thinking like, instead of a conference next time, just say, let's all meet at the bar and have a drink. (laughs) (laughs) How's that impacted kind of your business, if at all, in terms of how you get things done? That's a great question. I mean, there's some obvious good sides to this and some some drawbacks. Sure. The, the good sides, I mean, it's in, incredible. So the marketing budget has changed dramatically now. Yeah. You know, we're not flying lots of people to different places and spending money exhibiting and hotels and these things. Yeah. So that's, you know, that essentially just falls straight to the bottom line unless, like a few companies, you explore a little bit more now some of the digital communication that we perhaps didn't have the budget to or the inclination or the time before. There's a difference there. One of the things that, yeah, I mean, I'm really big on in-person conversations because there's some conversations that you can just do more freely yeah. when you're, you're with people. Yeah. Uh, and particularly when it comes to some of the deal-making. You know, mm-hmm. it kind of it needs to happen you know, a little bit more privately. There's pieces of information that are disseminated into you know, different areas with different people. And sometimes the, the late night conversation where you truly decide to you know, seal a deal at whatever scale. Right. Uh, and those kind of things, of course, just don't happen. As is the, the general pause on you know, a lot of early stage deals. Yeah. I'm talking M&A there. There's been a general sort of sense of let's come back to this when we kind of know where we are, mm-hmm. which doesn't mean deals off until this is over, but it means, you know, we need to pause for a few months. Right. And that's also, I know it's always a business reality, but that can be quite frustrating when all the signals were, this deal is going to be a good one, a positive. You know, we're going to get an injection of capital and, you know, and everyone's excited about it. But now it's unusual to have these things thrust away from you by something like this. I think if a deal falls apart because something's not right. 
it's easy to understand. But when things are just pushed to one side because yeah. of something no one ever anticipated, I mean, that can be a little bit irritating. Yeah. Well, and also to get to that point, it's a lot of work, right? It's not, you know, there's a lot of time, effort, and emotions that go through that process to get to that point. So it's incredibly frustrating. I think sometimes people forget, like, just getting interest from investors or an acquirer is one thing, but then actually getting down to closing that deal is so much hard work and alignment of, of all parties involved. What's your take on that? Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's amazing. You know, worked on some deals where essentially the term sheet was done in three months, but the deal wasn't finished for 12. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, there's a huge amount of emotion. Yeah. And it's the way I often think about it as well is it's the headspace. It's the what's on your mind when you're in the shower in the morning. And if you find yourself constantly thinking about that deal or you know, some deal, then you know that, okay, there's other stuff that you're normally thinking about, about your day or about your, right. your head or something. So yeah, it can be very mentally draining. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, I think that you can stay level-headed and you can, you know, it's like living in parallel universes because you still got to run the business, but you have to try to make the, the deal work. And that's challenging as well. And staying even seems to be an important component, as I've seen throughout different deals that have been done. And I think it also depends on the size of the company. You know, when you, I've always thought the hardest thing is to run a small business because you've got, you know, you're doing every single job. You know, and I don't know what the number of people is, but there comes a point when, okay, you've now got a sales organization, mm. you've got an HR team, you've got a strong accounting function, a marketing group, an ops group, et cetera. Right. It becomes much easier to run the business when you've got all that support and much easier to have these fundraising conversations too. That's true. You've got the mental space and the, the real time to yeah, work on the business rather than in it. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Dan, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate the conversation and hopefully we're going to see each other soon. Yeah, I yeah. hope so. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.